0: well good morning Christ fellowship how are you right it's good to uh, to be with you this morning uh, if you're a guest with us this morning uh, let me say give you my um, my welcome and hello as well my name is Robert I'm one of the pastors here um, along with with Daniel and I'm really glad that you're here and I uh, hope that uh, that you are encouraged and challenged by by the gospel today in your seat you should have found one of these uh, one of these uh, cell group journals I just wanted to To highlight this really quickly as we're kicking off a brand new sermon series, Uh, Pastor Daniel and some other folks in our church work really hard to uh, produce uh, what I think is just some really, uh, really great content that uh, follows along with uh, the sermon series, um, each of our series. And so um, just just really grateful for them and really grateful for the way that the Lord uses this. So um, if you don't have one, if you don't have one on your seat um, we have more at guest services in the back. We'd love for you to, uh, to, to pick one up as well. And just so you know, so uh, this morning we're, we're kicking off uh, a new series called In the Wilderness Through the Book of Numbers. Um, and so you will not have a, a place to take notes in the Cell Group Journal this morning. Um, this will kick off next week when we preach uh, the, uh, I guess, Sermon 1. today. Technically today is Sermon 0 in, uh, in the sermon series. So go ahead and, uh, and take your Bibles out. This morning, um, as I said we're kicking off a, a brand new sermon series here at Christ Fellowship Travelers Rest uh, through uh, the book of, of Numbers. Numbers, and um, feel free—you can turn to Numbers chapter one, verses one through four, um, or you can just listen along this morning. Whatever whatever you'd like, it's going to be on the screen. Let me read to you the first four verses of the book of Numbers. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male head by head, from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war." You and Aaron shall list them, company by company. And there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers. Lord willing, as I said, over the next 15 months, we're going to walk through the book of Numbers together. Now, uh, let me assure you, we're not going to go straight through like a marathon. Um, We're not going to do that. We're going to break it up in... Um, into parts, we're actually going to break the book up into three parts, um, and so, uh, for example, uh, part one, that, which which we're calling "God with Us," uh, that'll take us about ten weeks. We'll take a little break. We'll do something else for a little while, and then we'll come back to Numbers, um, so on and so forth throughout the year. Um, now, you can, as you, as I can probably guess, it's true of you. It's it's probably it's definitely true of me. Uh, you, you're thinking. This guy's standing up here telling me that we're going to study numbers, right? Numbers. Of all the books in the Bible, why in the world would we pick We pick numbers, right? Um, my guess is, is that what you know of numbers is that it's a, a book full of counting, right? Evidence by the title, numbers. A list of names, right? There's, there's lots of names that are difficult to pronounce. I'm really looking forward to that and having all of you laugh at me when I mispronounce them or say them in a funny way. And, and then a lot of really boring history, Right? Most people don't, don't enjoy studying history, especially history of, of people that lived thousands of years ago, right? Why in the world would we study numbers? Now, again, most of us are probably guilty. I am definitely guilty of this this morning. So it, it starts with me of avoiding books of the Bible like this, like it's the plague. And interestingly enough, there's a, a couple of plagues and numbers that we're going to get to talk about, right? We, we avoid these books like the plague. Um, there's nothing better than a long genealogy in the morning when you're reading your Bible to put you back to sleep. Anybody ever been there? That's, that's been me. That's been my experience, right? And and interestingly enough, a guy by the name of Jeffrey Kranz, his name is Jeffrey Kranz, in 2019, he studied a year's worth of Bible reading off of BibleGateway.com. Maybe you use BibleGateway.com to read the Bible on your phone or something like that. Well, this guy, Jeffrey Kranz, he studied a year's worth of Bible reading in 2019, and he found what, uh, based on Bible Gateway's data, what are the 10 most unpopular books of the Bible? And it surprised me this week as I, was, as I was preparing to preach. Here, according to Kranz and Bible Gateway, the 10 most unpopular books of the Bible. Jonah, that's odd, right? Jonah's a great book of the Bible. Jonah, Joel. Jude, Zephaniah, Philemon, Haggai, 3 John, what? 2 John, Nahum, and Obadiah. Numbers didn't make the list. Numbers did not make the list of the most unpopular books of the Bible. That surprised me this week. I figured Numbers would be at the top of the list, but it didn't even make the list. And the point of all of that is this, is I think that we have severely misjudged this book. We've misjudged this book because it has some very hard text, it has some some long lists of names, and yes, some counting. But I want to make the case to you this morning, it's what I feel like my job is this morning, to to make the case that the book of Numbers has a very timely message for us here at Christ Fellowship Traveler's Rest. Now, um, the English title, Numbers, that actually comes from the Greek version of the Old Testament. So Jesus and Paul, they would have known this book by the title Numbers, right? But the, the Hebrew title of the book is actually what we're taking for our series title, In the Wilderness. In the Wilderness is what it's called in the Hebrew Bible. And the, the title, In the Wilderness, kind of helps us get at this, this big theme, this big picture that we're going to be chasing in the book of Numbers. Now, Numbers is the fourth book in your Bible. It's, the, it's part of a section of the Old Testament called the Books of Moses, Maybe you've heard it called the Torah before. Torah means law. Think Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, there it is, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, these five books represent what is the foundation of really the entire Bible. Most of the rest of the teaching of the Bible is built upon the things that are written, the laws that God gives here in these first five books. And and all of them were most likely written by a guy that, if you've grown up in the church, you know his name is Moses. Moses um, either wrote these books or he compiled, using others, other resources at his disposal, he compiled these first five books of the Bible. Now, Numbers is actually a continuation of one of the most popular stories in the Bible, the story of the Exodus. Maybe you've you've read the story of the Exodus before, you've seen the uh, the movie Prince of Egypt, right? Um, at the beginning of the book of, of the story of the Exodus, a man named Jacob, ever heard of Jacob before? Jacob and his family, they fled into Egypt because they were starving to death. There was a famine, a famine all over the land. And so they, they fled into Egypt to find food. You see, one of Jacob's sons, maybe you've heard this guy's name before, his name is Joseph, Joseph had actually been sold into slavery by his brothers and, and through the sovereignty of God had ended up being second in command in Egypt. So Jacob and his family, they flee into Egypt where their brother is now head honcho. And, and under God's direction, Joseph had allowed Egypt to, to stockpile food. So everyone around Egypt was starving, but there was food in Egypt because God had used Jacob, or excuse me, had used Joseph to... Uh, to encourage them to store up food for this famine. So, so Jacob and his family, they go there, they find food, they find refuge. And this family that entered into Egypt, that was 70, there were 70 of them, they start to grow. 70 turns into 100 to 150 and so on and so forth. And so by the time you get to the story of the Exodus, there are millions, millions of, Egypt, of, of Israelites in Egypt. Millions of them. And as you know, right, if, uh, two Israelites are company, right? Three, three's a burden. Two million? Two million is a problem. And so uh, the king of Egypt, his name is Pharaoh, his title is Pharaoh. Um, this, this king comes to power and he doesn't know Joseph. He doesn't have a relationship with Joseph. And so Israel is no longer under his protection. And so all of these millions of Israelites all of a sudden wake up one day and they're not friends with the Egyptians anymore. They're slaves. God's people, his, his nation has been enslaved in Egypt. Because you see, Jacob's family, they're not just any old family. They're the family, the most important family in the entire story of the Bible. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham. And Abraham is the one whom God made his covenant promises to. In Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, God promised Abraham three things. You're going to need this as we, as we go through the book of Numbers. You're going to need to remember this. God promised Abraham three things. He promised Abraham people. Abraham, count the stars in the heavens. I'm going to give you more descendants than all the stars in the heavens. He promised him land Abraham, I'm going to give you a land, your people, a land that is all your own. It will be yours and your people, your descendants can live there. And then he also promised them blessing. Abraham, I'm going to use your family to bless all the families of the earth. And now this, this family, this family is a mighty nation in Egypt and they're in slavery And God raises up this man that we're going to learn a a lot more about in Numbers called Moses to lead them out. And in this incredible series of miracles that involved a, a river turning to blood and hordes of locusts and frogs and the parting of an entire ocean, the parting of an entire sea, God leads His people now in the millions from 70 to millions out of Egyptian slavery through the Red Sea into the wilderness to this mountain called Sinai. Mountain called Sinai. And this is where the book of Numbers picks up. This is where the book of Numbers picks up. You see, what we're going to see as we work through the book of Numbers as a church is that it's in the wilderness. It's in this, uh, uh, this place of struggle and hardship, this place of, of difficulty that God's people are actually sanctified. It's in the wilderness under the leadership of God that God's people are actually sanctified, that God's people are actually um, taught how to be His people and how to be in His presence. It's in the wilderness that God prepares us to receive the blessings that He wants to give us as His people. It's in the wilderness that we learn what it means to be His and to be in his presence, to actually dwell with him. Friends, it's it's my belief, it's Daniel's belief, that that God is preparing our church, that God is preparing us for uh, the mission that he has for us here in Traveler's Rest. A mission to, to take the gospel to our friends and to our neighbors, and not just here, but to the ends of the earth. And that God is using all the experiences of our lives, the toil, the struggle, the hardship. He's preparing us to be able to fulfill that mission. And ultimately, He is preparing us to inherit the future promise of eternal life with Him. Of of living with Him forever. Like the people of Numbers, we too live, as, as Christians, we live on the other side of a miraculous salvation, the cross of Christ. We live on the other side of a miraculous salvation and we too have not yet fully received all the blessings that God has promised us. We are still waiting. We're still waiting for Christ to return and to inherit heaven. Heaven is not here yet. In this first part of the book of Numbers, we're going to see that God is preparing us As as followers of Jesus, as His people, God is preparing us to live in His presence now in anticipation of the day when we will be with Him forever. I want to make the case to you this morning that the book of Numbers is of vast, vast importance to us. And to do this, I want to do it in a little bit of a strange way, in a different way. I want to do it from 1 Corinthians 10. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. While you're turning there, I want to tell you a little bit about what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 10. Paul gives us three reasons that I want to show you this morning why I believe the the message of Numbers is still important to us. 1 Corinthians 10, three reasons why I believe that the book of Numbers is still important to us. Paul teaches us there first that the people in Numbers... All those names that we're going, to have a, we're going to have a difficult time saying, those are actually our people. They're our people. Second, he's going to teach us that, that their story, the story that we're going to see over the next several months, it's actually our story too. We, we share the same story. And then third, Paul teaches us that we'd better pay attention. We had better pay attention to what happens to them, to what happens to the people of Israel in the wilderness Because if we follow the same path that they followed, we will meet the same same faith that some of them met. Read along with me, beginning in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Let's stop right there at verse 5. Now, did you notice did you notice how, how Paul seems to be alluding he's pointing backwards to some things that maybe you're familiar with in the story of the Exodus and the story of the Old Testament? Paul's actually in 1 Corinthians 10. He's going to spend a lot of time talking about the stories that we read about in the book of Numbers. So the, the first truth that I want you to see this morning is that the the people that we're going to study in the book of Numbers, these are our people. These are our people. Now, we, we have to be careful with 1 Corinthians 10 because we don't want to rip it out of its context, right? Paul didn't write 1 Corinthians 10 so that I could preach it to you today as a, as a proof for why uh, we need to study numbers. That's not, it's not the, the first reason that Paul wrote Corinthians. He was writing to a church that was deeply divided. They were uh, divided and they were arrogant. Some within the church had had grown prideful and arrogant. They they saw the grace of the gospel that they had received in Christ as a license to sin. It's okay, the Corinthians might have said to us. It's okay to consort with the temple prostitutes in their day. In, In Christ, they would have argued, we're free. We're free from sin. So it doesn't matter what I do with my physical body. That's what they might have argued. Or the Corinthians might have said, you know, idols aren't real gods. They're just statues made of metal or wood or some type of precious stone. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal if I eat in an idol temple where these fake gods are and, and eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? So in chapter 8 Paul of war- uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul warns them against presuming upon the grace of the gospel. In chapter 8, he tells them that they must be willing to lay down, lay down their freedoms in Christ for the sake of their weaker brothers and sisters. You can't just use grace as an excuse to do whatever you want. In chapter 9, Paul points to his own willingness to lay down his rights, his freedoms in Christ. Paul is teaching the Corinthians that yes, in the gospel we have grace, but also in the gospel, holiness matters and to exercise our freedoms in the gospel in a way that causes another brother or sister to stumble paul says we are sinning against christ humility and a willingness to lay down those freedoms for the sake of others it is required dabbling in sin paul is teaching the corinthians dabbling in sin is dangerous is dangerous. And the Corinthians, they needed to look no further than the people of Numbers, the people in the wilderness. Here in verses 1 through 5, Paul points out that the the Corinthians and the the men and women of Israel in the wilderness, that they're spiritual ancestors. They're they're spiritual ancestors. And, And what he says about them is astounding. The their spiritual ancestors, as Gentiles, the Corinthians, and, and all of us, unless you're a Jew this morning, the Gentiles have been grafted in to God's family. Paul teaches us this in Romans 11. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. As we work through the Book of Numbers, we must remember that the people that we're reading about, that that we're actually spiritual family. We're their spiritual ancestors, and similar to the Corinthians. You and I, we're, we're all God's people. And God's people in numbers benefited from God's grace. They had their own salvation type event. right? They, they witnessed God do miraculous things. They experienced His grace in their lives. And Paul says that not all of them made it. Some of them fell in the wilderness. Paul, he points us back here in 1 Corinthians 10, 1-5, to the book of Exodus. He points us back to this story that I told you about earlier, about how um, the people of God were freed from their, their slavery in Egypt. Just as God liberated the Corinthians from their slavery to sin, their slavery to false gods, Paul says that God liberated Israel from Egyptian slavery. Paul wants us to see a connection. He wants us to see a connection here between the grace God showed Israel in the wilderness and the grace that God showed the Corinthians and all of us in the gospel. And the way he does that is he talks about baptism and he talks about the Lord's Supper. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Think with me about this for a moment. In, in baptism, when, when we baptize someone, we are saying to the world that that person no longer belongs to their former taskmaster, sin. We're saying that person now belongs to Christ. That's, that's, that's symbolic of them being dipped into the water, lowered into, symbolically into death and raised to newness of life. We're saying this person belongs to Christ. In leading Israel out of Egyptian slavery, Paul says, under the the mighty cloud of God's presence that we're going to read about in the book of Numbers, and through the towering walls of the Red Sea, under Moses' leadership, Paul teaches us that God was declaring who the Israelites belonged to, to Him. They were His people. Likewise, Paul says in the Lord's Supper, the Corinthians and all of us, we receive spiritual nourishment of the gospel. It's symbolized in the bread and the cup. Every time we take the Lord's Supper here, Daniel and I, as we lead you through that, we point you to, we point you to the symbolic nature of the elements. The symbolism between the bread is Christ's body. The symbolism between the cup and the new covenant that we share in Christ's blood. In the wilderness, God's people receive manna from heaven. We'll read about that in Numbers 11. They received water from a rock in Numbers 20. God was their provider. Paul is hes not drawing a straight line here. He's not saying that that what happened in the wilderness is the same kind of baptism in the, the Lord's Supper that we participate in today. That's not what Paul's saying. What he's doing is he's teaching us using dissimilar things To show us what unites us with those people that lived so many thousands of years ago. And what unites us is God's grace. God's grace. But it's what Paul says next. It's what Paul says next at the end of verse 4 that should make our jaws hit the floor. It should astound all of us. Look at the end of verse 4. The rock, the rock that Paul talks about being with them in the wilderness, it was Christ. Christ? Yes, Paul says that Christ was with our spiritual ancestors thousands and thousands of years ago in the wilderness. It was Christ who was providing for all of their needs. See, this is one of the reasons why we must study the book of Numbers, because the book of Numbers is a, is a story about Jesus. It's a story about Jesus providing for His people. Jesus was with them in the wilderness. And despite His presence, this is what we're going to see. Despite His presence with them, His gracious provision that came without fail, and the great wonders that He worked in their midst. Remember I told you, a cloud hovering over them, parting a sea. Despite all of those things, look at what Paul says in verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them talking about the wilderness generation, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. It's hard to see here, but the imagery of what Paul just said is vivid. It's vivid. Paul just said that their bones, the bones of these people in the wilderness, were scattered all over the ground because of their unfaithfulness to God. Friends, I wonder this morning, have you ever considered, have you ever considered that you can be, you can be this close to grace? You can be this close to the miraculous working of God and still have a heart like the Corinthians that says, Oh, come on, come on, Paul, quit giving us a hard time about the things that we watch on Netflix, or how our eyes wonder, or how we spend our money or how often we complain. You can be this close to grace and have a heart like that. We love Jesus, right? Here at Christ Fellowship, we love Jesus. We're good. What Paul is teaching us this morning is that these people, these people in the wilderness who fell because of their unfaithfulness, these are our people. And just like them, God is preparing us to be a blessing to the people around us as we proclaim the Gospel. Just like them, He's preparing us to step into a promised land, ours an eternal promised land. And just like them, the only way that we're going to make it to the thing that God has promised us is that God goes with us and that we are in His presence. And if we are to be in His presence just like them, we must be holy. We must be holy. Now don't get me wrong, God offers us grace. There is grace in the Gospel, but we're going to see in the book of Numbers that just as, as God offers us grace, He also demands our holiness. These are our people. The second truth I want you to see this morning about uh, our series in the wilderness, about these, these people in the Old Testament that we have very little connection to, right? Is that their story is actually our story. Read along with me beginning in verse 6 and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Now, we, we often like to think that we live vastly different lives uh, from, uh, from previous generations. I, at least I'm guilty of that. Maybe you are too, right? I mean, we live in the 21st century. Right? Before I got up here on the stage, I, I put this little personal computer in my pocket that I carry everywhere, I put it in silence mode, right? I carry this little computer in my pocket everywhere I go, and with it I can, uh, I can, I can stream my face and my voice, and it will travel through the air to anywhere in the world, and I can have a, a face-to-face, digitally, conversation with someone, right? how much could we possibly have in common with someone who lived before the advent of electricity, let alone someone who lived thousands and thousands of years ago? Well, Paul is saying to us this morning that we have a lot more in common with them than we like to think. In fact, Paul says in verses 6-11 through that the story of God's people in the wilderness, it's the story of the Corinthians, and it's the story of of you and I. The events we're going to study over the next several months They took place, Paul says, as an example for us. As an example. Have you ever ever noticed that before in 1 Corinthians 10? It's amazing that these things took place as an example. Now, did you notice in 1 Corinthians 10 there that Paul uses that word example? He uses it in verse 6, and then he uses it down in verse 11. That's called a, a textual bracket. He puts example at the top of that section and at the bottom of that section because he's saying something to us about this idea of an example. It means a a pattern or a type. Think think like a typeface on a printer, right? You take a a stamp and you put it in ink and then you stamp it on paper and it makes that image on paper. That's what Paul's getting there. Let, Let me see if I can illustrate even more what I think Paul's saying. As a teenager, I got got interested in photography um, because my father had a 35-millimeter camera. Now, I've just really dated myself because many of you in this room probably have no idea what a 35-millimeter camera is because everything's digital today, right? But back in the day, right, there were these things called 35-millimeter cameras, and they required these little tiny canisters that were about this big called film, film canisters, right? Right? So you would you would take your photographs and then you would take the film to CVS or Walgreens or something like that and you would get the film you would get the film developed, All right? And you get your pictures in the mail or you'd have to go pick them up or something like that. But in addition to your pictures, you would get this little strip of things called a negative. Have you ever gotten a negative before? You got pictures developed and you get a negative. Well, the reason it's called a negative is because what is captured on that little strip of film called a negative is actually the exact opposite of your photograph, right? So if you look at the negative, the light things are dark, the dark things are light. Right? It's the exact opposite. The story of numbers Paul just taught us is, is like a negative. It's like a film negative. It's a cautionary tale, right? Another, this is another reason why we're going to study it. It's because what we see here in Numbers is a warning that these are our people and this is our story. And if we follow the same path as they did, we will meet the same fate. We must not, as Paul says, crave the evil that they craved. And as we're going to see over the next several months, these guys, they craved evil a lot. They craved A lot of evil. And Paul gives us a brief summary here. He says, Some some were idolaters. He's he's quoting here from Exodus chapter 32, verse 6, in in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 10. He says, The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You've probably read this story before if you've been in the church um, your life. It's the story of the golden calf. He's pointing to Israel's worship of this idol near Mount Sinai. Moses is up on the mountain receiving God's law, and his people are down at the bottom worshiping a false God. But but more than idolatry, Paul says some indulged in sexual immorality. Paul's pointing here to the events of Numbers 25. We'll get there eventually. God, God has uh, protected His people from uh, the curses of this witch doctor named Balaam. It's a great story. It's going to be lots of fun to, to read and teach. And, and while God is protecting them from this, this witch doctor who's trying to curse His people, well, the children of Israel, they're sleeping around with the Moabite women and they're worshiping their false gods, the God, the God Baal. And God, God punishes them for this and 23,000, Paul says, fall in a single day. But, but even third, Paul says some of them put Christ to the test. Paul's pointing to Numbers 21. After being liberated from Egyptian slavery, after constant provision of food and water in the wilderness, God's people grow to despise His provision. They get sick of the food. Can you imagine that? They get, they're in the middle of a desert, bread's falling from heaven, water gushes from a rock, and they have the audacity to be upset about the food. They want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to slavery and this kindles God's wrath and he sends fiery serpents among them. It's a great story. Paul says that also some of them grumbled. Grumbled or complained. Grumbled is a much better word than complain. Most likely here, Paul is pointing to Numbers 14. God's people, they are there on the edge of the promised land. It's time go in. This land that God had promised their forefather Abraham, they're there. They're on the edge of it. It's time to go in and take what God has said is theirs, that he's going to give it to them. And instead of trusting God, what do they do? They kind of dip their toe in the edge. They're going to send in spies to spy out the land and all but two come back with a positive report. All but two come back with a positive report. The rest of them come back terrified, fearful, saying there were giants in the land and that they were all going to die if they tried to enter it. They, they, they work the people up into a frenzy. The People become afraid and they do something unthinkable. They accuse this God who had liberated them from slavery, provided for them in the, in the wilderness. They accuse Him of working evil against them. You see, for the Corinthians... For all of us, the end of the ages has come upon us. We live on the other side of Christ's coming, His crucifixion, and His resurrection. All the things that, that the people of Israel, the children of Israel in the wilderness, that they didn't, they didn't see fully, we see clearly clearly. We see it clearly. What was hidden for them has been plain for us. And so what Paul is teaching us here by by summarizing their sins, right? Idolatry, sexual immorality, testing God, grumbling. Paul wants us to see these things through gospel eyes. As we study the, the numbers accounts, Paul wants us to see them and interpret them through gospel lenses. Because these things are not just examples that were written down for us. They were sovereignly ordained. Did you notice that Paul said that? They're not just written down as an example for us. They actually happened as an example for us. God sovereignly ordained these things to happen in the book of Numbers for our instruction so that like a film negative, we can look at it and go do the opposite so that we don't meet the same fate. So that we don't meet the same fate. Have you ever considered, have you ever considered this morning as a Christian, as the church in general, how quick we are to point the finger at our wicked, sinful culture? At the, the, all the terrible things that, that unbelievers in our sinful culture is doing around us, while quietly we dabble in our own sins, our own. Quote unquote, respectable sins. We we condemn the culture while sampling the forbidden fruit, if you will. Idolatry, sexual immorality, testing God, grumbling or complaining against him. It's just the beginning of the kinds of sins the wilderness generation committed, and we commit all the time. All the time. Their story was the Corinthian story, and it's our story. Not much has changed in a couple thousand, three thousand years, right? All that time that separates us from them hasn't changed us a whole lot. It's the same story with different characters. And, and as we walk through the book of Numbers, it's not going to take long for us to grow tired and weary of their rebellion. Man, why, why, did, why do the children of Israel keep messing up after God is doing all of these things for them. And and I want to encourage you as we walk through numbers and that happens for you, I want you to remember this. I want you to remember that no matter how tired you get of reading another story about their rebellion and about their punishment, no matter how sick of it you become, that God was infinitely more tired of it. And yet God continued to show them mercy And just as He was tired of their sinfulness and their rebellion and continued to show them mercy, can't we we all see how God would get tired of our rebellion and our affronts to His grace and yet He is consistently gracious and kind and merciful to us. The thing that we're going to learn as we study the book of Numbers is that God is vastly, He is infinitely more committed to us than we are to Him. This is our story. Well, this is this leads me to the last thing that I want us to see from First Corinthians ten, and it's that we need to pay attention. Paul is teaching us that we need to pay attention. Read along with me in verse eleven, or excuse me, verse twelve. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of of escape that you may be able to endure it. Christ Fellowship, the root of the sin of the people in the wilderness of Numbers is the same root of sin entrenched in the Corinthians' heart, and it's the same root of sin entrenched in our heart. And it's that of pride. It's pride. Pride takes on many forms. Thinking and behaving as if we know better than God, right? Can't you just hear the Corinthians now? Like, can't you just hear them in your head? Come on, Paul, leave us alone, right? We're gospel people. We're covered under the blood of Christ. What's the big deal? What's the big deal if we enjoy a good steak down at the local pagan temple by Aphrodite and participate in the, you know, the worship service? What's the big deal? What's the big deal if we have a little fun with the temple prostitutes? That might be what they said. Right? What is the big deal? Can't you just hear the children of Israel in the wilderness? Come on, Moses! Okay, come on, Moses, aren't you sick of quail sandwiches, right? Don't you have any mayonnaise out here in the middle of the desert? Aren't you sick of quail sandwiches? Weren't things better in Egypt? Let's just go back. Let's just go back. There are giants in this land, Moses. I am not about to go in there. I'm not going. Haven't, haven't you said similar things to God? Haven't you doubted God's goodness and faithfulness and mercy in similar ways? Paul says in verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We need to pay attention, Christ's fellowship, as we journey through our own wilderness of life. God is with us, and while He shows grace and mercy, He demands our Holiness. But, but here we get to the good news because as much as he demands our holiness, he, de- he meets that demand for holiness with a tremendous display of mercy. The, the final reason that we're going to study the book of Numbers as a church is because the book of Numbers points us to the gospel. While Numbers warns us against, the pri- against pride and irre- irreverence towards sin, we, we need not hang our heads in despair as if uh, the thought, at the thought of temptation. As if we can't, we'll never make it. We're not the first, Paul says. And we have the example of the wilderness generation to prove it. We're, we're not the first. We can learn from their mistakes, from the mistakes of the fallen. They were recorded, even as I said, sovereignly ordained for this purpose. Did, did you notice in verses 6-11, through 11, that Paul says, some, some, but not all, fell. Only some fell. Not all were guilty of unrepentant sin. We can trust that God is with us and He is still merciful. Still merciful. He has provided a way for us to resist temptation to idolatry, to sexual immorality, to putting God to the test, to grumbling and complaining. He has provided us a way to resist that temptation. A means of escape. It's the Gospel. It's the thing hidden for the wilderness generation but revealed and made clear to us. You see, our Savior Jesus... He not only walks with us in our wilderness journey, he's walked the wilderness journey before us. He's faced every temptation, every hardship that you and I will ever face, and he was without sin. Listen to the, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter two, verses 17 through 18. Now writer of Hebrews is writing about Jesus. He says, "Therefore he had to be made like his brothers." in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's with us. He was with them and he is with us. Numbers points us to the promise of the gospel that with his life, Excuse me, with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus is our sure hope in the wilderness of our lives. By faith, his blood covers us with mercy when we fail. And as we fix our eyes on him who has walked this journey before us and done so without sin, done so without sin, he promises to help us endure. He is our guarantee. He is our guarantee that unlike those who did not trust God in the wilderness and fell, who did not inherit the blessings that God promises all of His people, Jesus is our guarantee that if we remain faithful, if we remain faithful to Him, that He will see us through to the very end. To the very end. Friends, I I hope that, that you will join me and Christ Fellowship, all of us, Join all of us as we journey together through the book of Numbers in the wilderness. Will you pray with me? Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for even the difficult parts of Your Word, the the parts of Your Word that uh, that take work, more work and more effort to see. Father, I I pray as we spend the next uh, several months looking at uh, the story of Your people in the wilderness, that you would show us our own journey. You would show us the, the, the ways that you are sanctifying us. The, the sins that we have, uh, we have ignored and pushed to the side. And that as a result of all of it, that we would have a greater confidence and a clearer hope that in Christ, that Christ will see us through to the very end. Father, we thank you most of all that along this journey that you are with us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.